0: Mother Bear's Pizza of Bloomington, open daily and offering gourmet pizzas, hot submarine sandwiches, and salads with daily specials. Menu available online at motherbearspizza.com. 332-4495 for delivery.
1: Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of the Herald Times in Bloomington, along with Mary Catherine Carmichael. And today we're going to talk about the Pride Film Festival and discuss what it means to southern Indiana. Joining us in the studio are two fine guests. We have Pride Steering Committee Coordinator Danielle McClellan and Communication and Culture Professor Mary Gray. If you have questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or uh, 1-8... Yeah, I've lost my number.
0: Oh, uh, eight yeah. seven seven um, two, eight, two eight. I don't remember I, either. Yeah, it's only I, been I, eleven years. I know what it's been eleven want? years,
1: and I don't to have. It. There That Eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight. That what a right. mental glitch. <laughs> we also have our. <laughs> Our uh, website, WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. Uh, then
0: we're off to a yeah, fine start. Yeah, we're stumbling, stumbling <laughs> we'll help you out today. Don't worry, Bob.
1: Yeah, okay. Do
0: you guys know what you're talking about? Yeah. I hope I so. think so. Okay. okay,
2: good. Oh, my Whew. gosh, yeah.
1: <laughs> All right, well, thanks for being here. And we are going to talk about the Pride Film Festival. And I wanted to ask Danielle to begin by talking about the history of it, how it starts. Yes.
2: Thank you so much for having us here on Noon Edition. Um, the Pride Film Festival, this is in fact the seventh annual Pride Film Festival. So I think that means we started in 2004 in January um, with the, uh, the the beginning of one. And it was really something that started very small and was part of actually a graduate school practicum um, where I tried to find some arts administration students who would research ideas for ways in which the Buzzkirk Chumley Theater could show film that would be meaningful to the community and financially viable. And they landed on the idea of a gay and lesbian film festival. And they not only wanted to do the research to prove that it could happen, but they wanted to start it right now. <laughs> so we said, why not? Mm-hmm. And that first, um, that first showing, we, did a, uh, we gathered together films for two hours of short films And we did a matinee screening and an evening screening and, you know, had over 300 people at each one. And everyone was so enthusiastic that it was clear that it had really a strong beginning in the community.
1: So how has it grown?
2: It's huge at this point. We now have four days. Wow. It alternates pretty much every year between three and four days worth of film. There are five to seven to – one year we had eight different screenings at the theater as well as additional screenings on campus that often happen in the dorms where it's really really readily accessible for students who may not – You know, be quite ready to step out off of campus or to, you know, come forward, they're investigating and thinking about things. And so to have screenings available to Mm -hmm. them right there of films that have gay and lesbian, bisexual, transgendered stories. Right there, we think is really important.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and we also now organize the festival through an all-volunteer steering committee that basically creates the content, decides what the festival is going to be, selects the films, does most of the work, and brings that to the sort of administration of the Buzzkirk Chumley Theater, and we help facilitate it.
0: Mm-hmm. Are there any workshops or other events or activities that accompany the film festival?
2: All kinds, actually. Um, our Our website is pridefilmfestival.org. And the full schedule of events um, are available there. But we have all kinds of things. We have um, coming up on the 24th, we have a movie, a trivia madness event that's happening on campus to get people excited about it and learn something and test themselves. We have... Something that I'm really proud of this year, we're doing a Pride in Service event on the Saturday of the film festival. We know we're going to have a large number of people focused and interested in being together and doing things together And so we've organized um, some service activity at the community kitchen, possibly a cleanup in the downtown area, so that members of the GLBT community can give back to the community as a whole in a visible manner.
1: Now, Mary, what's a a festival like this um, mean to the community?
3: Well, as somebody who joined the Bloomington community in two thousand four and had just missed the the festival, I was too much in the throes of of moving to Bloomington to make it um it It's meant a lot to me personally as as a queer identifying person to be in a town that has this event um but also just seeing. The number of community members, allies, folks who just have no idea what a gay and lesbian film might look like or mean coming to the festival and really engaging it and engaging each other has, uh, has I think, expanded um, what Bloomington uh, really means when they say they're, they're a welcoming and inclusive community. And I have to say, I think it's one of those events that is so uniquely um, Bloomington in that it... it um, it's the quintessential bridging of the campus and the community. I mean there's there's nothing that really clearly divides it. Even when we have campus events, we always have community members at those campus events. So I, I think it's, its meaning is it's so emblematic of what Bloomington can do um, in, in terms of being able to draw – university um, discussions and community discussions together.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. Our phone numbers and I've got them this time. 855 <laughs> 811 and 877 9348 outside of the Bloomington calling area. And you can also join the discussion at WFIU.org slash noon edition. I'm, I'm interested in the way that the films are selected. Who who decides, how many films are submitted every year and who decides?
2: We are still um, a small festival in the grand scheme of gay and lesbian film festivals around the world. So the vast majority of the films that um, that we get to the festival are actually actively solicited by our steering committee members. And I'll let Mary sort of talk a little bit more about that process. And she's been a lot more involved in it, really, than I have. Um, but we generally talk about some of the questions or um, concepts or images or types of film that we've heard about that might be hot topics in the gay and lesbian community as a whole. Um, but the, um, but also what would specifically have meaning in our community, and then we actively look for them. Um, we go to other festivals and see what's winning prizes. Um, you know we have developed over the years relationships with a variety of different filmmakers who we talk to on a regular basis and um and that type of thing so i think it's generally about 70 hours or so of film that's watched in the selection process. But uh, yeah, we'll, Mary can talk about that a little bit more. Yeah, i like hear
3: how that process works. <laughs> it is. It, it's the most pleasurable, grueling experience you could possibly have. So if you're into film and, and this is a, a chance to promote the opportunity to, to participate, in the, participate in the film festival, we literally start looking for films to, uh, to review and to solicit from distributors in August. And we go um, usually weekly as we ramp up towards The festival, uh, at least twice a week, sometimes three times a week, we're meeting for two to four hours a night to watch films and literally just move through. Um, hundreds of shorts that come in through distributors, quite a few features. I think the um, one of the advantages we have of having this festival in, in late January is that many of the larger, prominent international film festivals have had their go. And um, other than, than the, the, um, the Sundance Film Festival, which mm-hmm. we're up against, mm-hmm. um, w- there isn't another uh, uh, festival timed about now. So we literally have uh, at our fingertips the best programming that's been done elsewhere, and we can move through that material. And as Daniel said, really look for um, for films that are going to speak to the kinds of themes we'd like to take up. So this year's theme is small town gay life. So every year we have a theme that we we want to um, we want to address and think through and we we uh, create programming around that theme as much as we can and we create additional events around that theme.
1: Mm-hmm. OK. We're going to go to the phones. But before we do, I have to tell you that uh, my wife was in one of these films. She yeah. actually played a uh, – I don't know if it, it made the cut or not, but she mm-hmm. actually played like – a really clueless June Cleaver-like mother of a mm. young woman who was coming out. You know, That's so. fantastic. Oh, yeah. that is fantastic. It was several years ago. I haven't seen it, but... Oh, you need to watch it. I know, it. we need to <laughs> need to get that film. <laughs> it's true, Mary <laughs> Catherine. She's looking at me like...
2: Oh. We're very thrilled to have an ever-growing um, sort of cadre of filmmakers here in Bloomington that are regularly submitting films to us as well. So yeah. we're thrilled with that.
1: Okay, well, we lost our caller, so hopefully uh, Andy will call us back. But uh, So these films are, they range in length. From what to what
2: shorts um, can be as i think we ha- we have had a film like as short as one and a half minutes, and then our feature length films are you know as much as two hours, generally closer to an hour and a half mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: now um, are these all? Adult recommended, or are there anything for that's appropriate for younger children? What do you What do you recommend along those lines if people are looking at this as a uh, potential activity for the weekend?
3: Actually, it's uh, it's a family affair. I mean, it's it. Most of the films that we're screening and programming, in terms of the material, are. Uh, if I had to put a rating to it, and we actually, when we're watching the films, try to put ratings to to the films, mm-hmm. um, are between G and PG. There's very little content that's sexually explicit. And in some ways, that's um, intentional. In some ways, it represents what kinds of films are being produced. But thematically, they're um, they're consistent in that they're taking up gay and lesbian, bi and trans themes and narratives. So it's it's really about the stories that we do have a Friday late night screening where we try to put material that's a bit more um, explicit uh, about sexual material. But for the most part. Uh, the stories um, really stand uh, as as good stories, good narratives, and mm-hmm. they're the kinds of films that um, it, and I hate to say it. If they were about two heterosexual people, they'd be in your in your theaters, and you'd probably see a lot of families going to them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. probably not the one and a half minute ones. <laughs> Maybe not. Know. Maybe not. They don't do shorts. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right, eight five five zero eight one one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight and. WFIU.org slash Noon Edition is our website. Um, let's go, Before we forget, let's go through some of the details of when the festival is, how much it costs to go. Uh, can you buy a one-night pass or a four-night pass, all those kinds of things.
2: Again, our film festival website is pridefilmfestival.org. And there's a complete schedule there of all of the events, which actually some of the pre-festival events have already started on campus. Um, There will be the main showings of the festival are January 28th through the 31st. Um, we do have a festival pass that's good for the whole weekend. There are a variety of free events that happen. So if you know, money is a concern and you want to participate anyway, there are matinees on both Saturday and Sunday of that weekend that are free and should be really lively discussions following the shows.
1: Okay, So if I got a pass and I went to say the, the Friday evening, mm-hmm. uh, how many films would I see?
2: Let's see. Friday evening for the early showing, you would see I think seven or eight short films. Then there would be an intermission and then there would be a feature length film. Mm -hmm. There's also entertainment on Friday night by the um, Bleeding Heartland Roller Derby. So we're not sure exactly what they're going to do. Um, they, a couple years ago, they were on stage doing a fantastic um, kind of dance narrative thing to music that was really rousing and got the entire, got a standing ovation, I believe. Um, so we're very thrilled to have them back. And that's how most of the screenings are. There's some live entertainment for about five minutes. Um, there's an introduction and a thanking of our sponsors. Then a showing of short films and intermission and then a feature length. Mm-hmm.
3: I have to say, this is actually so much more um, than the films themselves, and I think that's mm-hmm. that's what's really striking to me is that it's almost always about certainly creating this forum for for representations and be able to see these films, but it's. It's an incredible feeling to be on Kirkwood and be at the Buskirk Chumley Theater when this festival is going on and seeing all of the energy and the people who surround Mm -hmm. this event. So it's as much about creating this space, um, much like the Lotus Festival in Mm -hmm. town, any of the festivals we have, as the films themselves. Mm -hmm. Now, uh,
0: I know that gay tourism is something that Bloomington has been Exploring and, and trying to build on. Do you bring people? Does this event bring a lot of folks in from out of town?
2: I would say a quarter to a third of our audience, our ticket buying audience for the festival, is not from a four seven four zip code.
3: Yeah, I mean, I have friends who just contacted me to let me know they're coming from
2: Louisville. Um, we, I know we have folks coming from Chicago, Indianapolis. So, mm-hmm. and it's really become, I think. And again, in much the same way, Lotus has um, a perfect time for people who have – have some connection to Bloomington from the past or from school or something like that to come back and visit. And in fact, the um, IUGLBT Alumni Association, one of our sponsors, mm-hmm. has organized now for the last two years um, a homecoming weekend around the festival because so many people were interested in, in doing that. So.
1: What a great what, idea. What, what's the marketing? Well. What's the marketing strategy? I mean, where do you you know where do you go to let people know that the festival is happening?
2: Well, the VisitGayBloomington.com, um, VisitGayBloomington.com, which is uh, the initiative of the Bloomington Visitor Center, has been a, spon- a strong sponsor of the festival from its inception and continues to do so. Um, and they actually have provided us with strong support for definitely the last two years and even before then, to some degree, to advertise outside of town. Um, so. I mean we start as early in the summer with some of the monthly or bimonthly periodicals, mm-hmm. um, advertising the dates of the festival and directing people to the website. But we advertise here in town locally. We also get a lot of media coverage about mm-hmm. the event because it's so large um, and then place ads um, in radio and TV and print, at, and print media all around the region.
1: Now, I wanted to ask about one of the events that I read about on your website, the Pride Video Shootout.
2: (laughs) Yes, I'm so (laughs) thrilled. Was that your idea? Um, (laughs) It's something that's been sort of bandied about. It's Um, one of Danielle's brainchild. (laughs) 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 And um, I actually have a friend who was from Bloomington, grew up here, lived here for a long time, moved to Madison, Wisconsin not too long ago. And she has participated in the 48-hour film Festival, which is a national event. And she told me about it, and I thought that was just the greatest idea. Um, And then I, as a stage director, have directed in the Bloomington Playwrights Project Playoffs, which is a similar concept where you give – for this – for the video shootout, we give teams of filmmakers a week to make a three-minute film. We give them a theme, a prop, and a line of dialogue – um, and they have seven days to come up with something, and submit it to us in D- DVD format by Wednesday the twenty seventh. And then on Thursday, the first, um, you know, half an hour or so of the film festival will be the screening of these films.
1: Okay. So can you remember? I'm, I want you to give Mary Catherine and I a theme, a prop, and a line of dialogue. And uh, we may not bring a film, but we might work out
2: something. <laughs> I can. Give, I can give you the official.
1: Okay. Everything. So the
2: theme is rural queer. Okay. Mm-hmm. The prop is a belt. Okay. And the line of dialogue is, it took all day long.
1: <laughs> okay, that sounds like a challenge.
2: <laughs> so, how many. Nobody how, said it would be easy. How many, <laughs> how
1: many entries do you expect to get?
2: I actually have three teams registered uh-huh. and um, a fourth person who currently lives in Alabama, I believe, who used to live in Bloomington and would like to submit a film. So, we're working on that to see if he can get that together. So I I you know we're just launching this but again my my true ideal for the festival is to develop the idea of filmmakers in Bloomington and mm-hmm. very specifically for me the idea of LGBT filmmakers telling the story of of being queer in some place that's not New York or San Francisco mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because I really think the vast majority of us just like the vast majority of all general population don't mm-hmm. live in those places. Mm-hmm. Right. And we have a lot of stories that aren't told.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I want to ask you a question about the word queer. OK. Mm-hmm. Because I think it's been uh, I think for a, at least in my generation for a long time that was really a derogatory term and now you know, I've heard you use it twice and I heard, I heard Mary use it once. So can you sort of explain the – how that word has come back into play?
3: Well, it's, it's a complicated word. And, you know, I, I, I teach classes on campus about gender and sexuality, and I usually preface uh, the use of that word with, you've got to understand its history. And it, and it, it certainly comes from um, a, a, a very sad history of being used as a derogatory term, as a pejorative. And um, during the early nineteen nineties, there was a direct action group called Queer Nation. It was fairly short lived, but it was a, affiliated with um, with ACT UP, uh, a group that uh, combats HIV/AIDS. And um, from that group, uh, there was really this this well of um, of a desire to reclaim that word to be able to see. Um, the power in taking on a word that's been used against you and and turning it on on its head. So at one point in its history, that word um, went from being ugly to being um, empowering. And I think over time, it's um, often used as shorthand for lesbian, gay, bi, trans, uh, and the other kinds of identities that are kind of coming to the fore. So for intersex people, for two-spirit people, terms that for the most part – average people are not going to encounter. So queer became a a fairly popular shorthand as an umbrella for the lesbian, gay, bi, trans uh, questioning community. But for other folks, it also means taking a very um, active um, identity as someone who challenges the norm. So Mm -hmm. I think it also has that meaning. It's a a fairly complicated word. So, Um, When I talk with students about the use of that word, um, I often encourage them to think of it as um, as a verb instead of a noun. So to really challenge what you take for granted as the norm is to queer it, you know, and I think – Um, That's precisely what happens to uh, Kirkwood um, uh, at the end of January every year now for the last seven years is it becomes a very
2: queered space. Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you because I I think that's something that hopefully will be very educational for the people who are –
2: And there's definitely – I mean there's still debate and and individuals are um, more comfortable with different terms Um, and I think it's always best – you know, just to ask. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't use it yourself.
1: <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not planning to, okay. but all right. Thanks for the advice. All right. Our phone number is again, eight five five zero eight one one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight. 285 9348 You can join the discussion at our website, wfiu.org slash noon edition. Um, so for a first-time festival goer, sort of give a little preview of what – what what you would suggest to somebody who's coming for the for the first time?
2: Hmm.
3: Well, I would definitely say start out. Go to the Kinsey Institute. I mean, they mm-hmm. they actually open their doors on Friday for um, a, a reception for the uh, GLBTIU Alumni Association, but it's also open to the general public. And if people haven't had a chance to see the institute and its holdings, it's a, it's a remarkable resource here in Bloomington. But um, you know Thursday night getting there early, sitting down, and being able to see the crowd that assembles um all the folks filling into the balcony it's it's exciting it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, I I always encourage, um, particularly uh, students and campus uh, community members, to as much as I can see both the flavor of what's provided on campus. Usually, those events are specifically educational. They're meant to engage and provoke, um, and to be able to to take that energy into what they see at the Buskirk Chumley Theater and and to just sit back and enjoy. Mm-hmm. Now, I
0: would think this would be a big event. Do people get dressed up? And oh, I, yeah. I would think it'd be huge. It's it's huge. It is.
4: <laughs> no they're, gen-
2: they're generally over the course of the weekend. Um, you know, two thousand and some people who attend the festival, so it is very large. Um, the, the most outrageous outfits probably occur on Saturday for the dance party. Oh yeah. Um, but I, I think that's going to, you know, it continues to expand. I mean, for for those who are looking, it's definitely a place <laughs> to meet and greet, mm-hmm. um, and you know, and so. A little uh, snazziness in the dress is always encouraged. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's always just a place to kind of strut your stuff and, and, you know, fly Mm -hmm. your flag. But this
0: isn't just for gay people, right?
2: Not at all. Um, In fact, um, there are all kinds of allies who attend the festival. Um, You know, I was was deeply touched when we started the film festival and one of my former board members attended. And I had no idea until that moment— that he came to the festival, that his son was gay, and mm-hmm. so it was a way of him, you know, a way for him to come out to me, and for us to share something that I didn't even know we shared. Mm-hmm. So I know that there's a lot of P flag members, people mm-hmm. who you know, parents and friends of lesbians and gays. I mean, to some extent, it's some of the most interesting um, independent film that's being shown anywhere in Bloomington. So it's of interest to anyone who likes movies, mm-hmm. um, and it's kind of, I mean. I don't know. I don't want to blow our own horn too much, but in my opinion, it's kind of one of the sexiest events that happen in Bloomington. Mm -hmm. You don't get a whole lot of opportunity um, to sort of feel that energy and the Mm -hmm. creativity that goes along with that, and it's definitely there for pride. So everyone is welcome.
1: Okay. We're going to take one phone call before we go to our break, and it's Valerie on the phone. Valerie?
4: Um, Yeah. Hi. I'm sort of just been half listening here i'm not gay lesbian or bisexual but when you started talking about films uh about homosexuality other places besides uh san francisco and what new york i thought of a film that i saw some years ago and i didn't know if you were even familiar with it it's a cuban film called fresa y chocolate mm-hmm. which means strawberry and chocolate and if you have never seen that film you ought to try and get a hold of it it's about uh, homosexuals in havana and are you familiar with the film?
3: I am actually, Valerie. That's a it's a beautiful film. Oh, it is. It's I an mean, absolutely beautiful aside film. Aside from
4: whether you know the subject matter, it's just a really, really neat film. Um, have you ever shown that, or do you have any?
3: we haven 't shown that film. We try to show films that um, haven 't had wide commercial release. If we are looking at films they're often films that haven't um, haven 't hit distribution yet. But what we do try to do are retrospectives uh, periodically, and we certainly focus on trying to draw uh, in international films so um, in the past we 've focused on um, Marlon Riggs, who was an African American gay man who was also an HIV activist. Um, and his his films were fo- the focus of a retrospective a couple of years ago. But, but Valerie's phone call makes me think about all the films we could we could work on as as yeah, fantastic I don't know what examples.
4: The focus was, but it's just such a great film. No. I thought if you hadn't ever shown it, you might want to consider that.
3: Thank you so much for the
0: suggestion. Thank
1: you all right, Valerie? Thanks for the call. So
0: a, a mainstream film um, like Milk is not going to be a film that comes to your festival. Correct. Okay. So you're looking for
3: things a little more off the beaten path, the undiscovered. We're looking for things that people wouldn't otherwise be able to access. And that's become a really interesting question for film festivals is what constitutes a gay and lesbian film in an era where you have Brokeback Mountain, Milk, Transamerica playing, for the most part, playing in uh, in our theater. Sometimes they don't make it to Bloomington unless they've gotten a nom- an Academy Award nomination. Um, so our interest is in drawing in those films that um, our, our filmgoers are not likely to see otherwise.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to have to take a short break. We're talking about the Pride Film Festival with uh, Danielle McClellan and Mary Gray. We'll be right back.
5: You're listening to Noon Edition on member-supported WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville Telephone, information at smithville.net, and from Mother Bear's Pizza at motherbearspizza.com. You can take WFIU programs with you by downloading our podcasts. Podcasting is a convenient and easy way to download audio files directly to your computer, iPod, or portable player. You can download podcasts of full-length programs like Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, If you miss one, that's okay. They're archived on our website, wfiu.org, and the best features from each week can be heard Saturday mornings at 745.
1: Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg along with Mary Catherine Carmichael. Today we're taking a sneak peek of the Pride Film Festival and we're discussing what it means to South Central and Southern Indiana. Uh, Joining us in the studio are Pride Steering Committee Coordinator Danielle McClelland and Communication and Culture Professor Mary Gray. If you've got questions or comments, please phone us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348 877-285-9348 or you can uh, join us on our website, send email questions or comments, wfiu.org slash noon edition.
0: You know, on the way over here, um, I passed a group that was um, marching um, – um, not anti-choice. What is it? Pro-life. A pro-life, pro-life group. Um and so I was wondering if there's any trepidation on the part of people who are coming to town for for this festival um, as far as being picketed or how welcoming this community might be and, and what kind of concerns uh, you've had voiced and how you've had to ha- – you know, how you've handled those.
2: Mm-hmm. One thing I can say is that, you know, we – we're not quite sure how it would go over when we first started the festival. And we have never received a complaint from anyone in the community about the f- about the fact that the Buskirk Chumley Theater administers and presents the festival. And um, so we're very, very happy with that.
3: Mm-hmm. I mean, for the first couple of years in the steering committee, we would regularly talk about um, the need for security. What would we do if we did have protests? What would we do if somebody was hurt? Uh, we had – Uh, A number of folks who attended the festival kind of informally get back to us that they would go to area restaurants or go to different hotels and were not welcomed Um, and were often uh, given – um, given a sense that uh, they, weren't, they weren't sure what all these gay and lesbian people were doing in town. What are they doing so visible out on Kirkwood? And I, I think it speaks to the paradox of this festival because it, it, it both puts on display um, the incredible openness of Bloomington and at the same time I think that openness doesn't always mean that folks have thought through um, – And move past tolerance to celebration. Mm -hmm. Like it's one thing to say, I'm okay with all these gay people here. It's another thing to say, wow, I'm excited to have all these people here in my community um, taking part in this event. So I feel like we've felt that tension before. And folks who come out of town who have asked me, you know, where should I stay? What are good places to go to eat that are um, where I know I'm going to be able to hold my partner's hand? Those Mm -hmm. are still not small issues. Uh, Every year, the students that I work with who take part in producing the festival uh, have to go through the throes of trying to figure out which businesses should they take posters to, who will put a sign up in their window. We still don't have a lot of businesses who do that. Um, but that might have as much to do with our own trepidation about approaching them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess that kind of surprises me because we always think about Bloomington as being mm-hmm. a very progressive community, and we know, you know, there's GayBloomington.com, and there are, mm-hmm. you know, there there are efforts to boost gay tourism here. So, I mean, when you talk about how there are, you know, restaurants and businesses you wouldn't approach, I don't want any names, but I mean, is there? Do you think there's really a small percentage? of of restaurants, of businesses that you would feel comfortable going in and saying, will you put this in our window?
2: I think in general, I mean, whenever we're um, looking for support, you know, from the smallest gesture of placing a poster in the window to, you know, being a sponsor or supporting a festival like this event, I mean, we find in general that we – that the vast majority of our support for this event as well as all others at the theater are um largely from local community members um some of the larger businesses um that maybe aren't headquartered here or mm-hmm. that type of thing you know really we we find it's difficult to get any kind of response um from You're those not organizations alone in that, no yeah. yeah i mean i think that's a general challenge that any mm-hmm. any sort of nonprofit organization faces um but I do think that there are so many ways in which the Bloomington community kind of rides on this reputation, that we are open and, com- and liberal and welcoming and tolerant and that we have um, these you know, policies in place that make it um, completely equitable to be GOBT in Bloomington. And I really think that we've only taken the very, very first steps in making that something that's true. Um, and I feel like the festival was one of those steps, but I think that there's ways that we that we, as an organization, as a steering committee, as a kind of galvanized community now, really need to step forward and we hope truly that um, the larger city organizations, businesses, campus will truly um, step up to the challenge of deepening that commitment to make it really a safe place.
0: Do you maintain any kind of a list or anything that say, hey, we've had really positive experiences with these folks or these are our these are our sponsors or anything like that? Because I think if I were coming into a situation where I wasn't sure I was welcome, I'd want to be pretty darn sure I wasn't going to be embarrassed or or – You know, worse, uh, in a public situation, you know, what kind of
3: assistance do you have? We've uh, the last couple of years and a lot of it comes down to um, having the people power on the strength committee to do this. But for the last couple of years, we've talked about um, going to different businesses and literally polling them to um, fill out what we know uh, about gay friendly businesses in town. Um, to confirm what does that mean for them. You know, mm-hmm. does that mean you offer a discount to folks who are coming into town for the festival, for example? Um, and what are their own policies about providing health benefits to their workers and domestic partnership benefits to, to their workers? So those when we can ask those mm-hmm. kinds of questions and we haven't yet as a volunteer force, uh, it's a question that we could perhaps ask the city to take on as a part of its, its civic work, um, to, to ensure that those, those sorts of, um, those sorts of, uh, uh, policies are in place. But what we have done is informally, um, you know, asked different business owners and locals, where have you had positive experiences? Where mm-hmm. have you more than had somebody just tolerate you but literally welcome you in the door and, um, and wanted to see more of you more of the time? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to minimize what a risk it probably feels like for a lot of businesses that um, might uh, fear losing um, uh, business if they put a Pride uh, Festival uh, poster up in their window. Um, I don't want to minimize that at all. But to me, that speaks of the need for for more conversation. If Mm -hmm. that's still scary for any of us to ask and for businesses to, to volunteer as opposed to waiting to be asked. Uh, that means we're, we're, we are just starting the conversation.
0: I hope we have this conversation again in seven years and you can say, wow, Me can you too. believe we used to have that Absolutely. problem?
3: Me too. Me too.
1: <laughs> All right. Our phone numbers again are 855-0811 in Bloomington, 877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington calling area. And you can join us on our website, wfiu.org slash noon edition. Now, Mary, you talked about uh, the service learning course that you teach and how those folks help out with this festival. Could you yeah. Tell us more about
3: that. I, 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 it's one of my favorite classes to teach on this campus. Uh, 2006, I think, uh, I proposed to my department developing a standalone service learning course that would uh, allow students to – Um, not only learn about uh, LGBT representation and the politics of LGBT representation uh, in film particularly, but to be able to work with this festival and produce contributions to the festival. It's uh, called C385. It's Communication, Culture, and Community. And every year, they astound me with their ideas uh, for augmenting this festival and, and again, genuinely bridging the campus and the community. And most of those students... Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a really interesting group of students. Most of those students are allies, and they may not even necessarily identify as allies when they walk in the door. They might just be interested in event planning, mm-hmm. but they come to the, uh, to the course and uh, through that course really learn what it feels like to be in the position of having to champion a gay and lesbian film festival. Uh, and that's really my measure for what does it feel like in this town to, um, to put that out there. They're the best thermometers for it, and they still find it kind of scary.
0: Mm -hmm. What an interesting experience for especially for your allies to have who've never, you know, probably had that nervous, oh, gosh, will they accept me feeling before. Mm -hmm. Fascinating.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I want to talk about the culture issue, communication and culture issue with the portrayal of gay people. And, uh, you know, we talked about Milk and some of these other Mm -hmm. films. But going back to television and, you know, Ellen and Will and Grace and how that, was so such groundbreaking television and, and Mary
0: Hartman, Mary Hartman. Remember that? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. I'm old. yeah.
1: And about how, <laughs> how about how uh, how things have sort of changed and progressed since then.
3: Well, uh, there's we I mean, have a, a wonderful media scholar here on campus named Susanna Walters who um, wrote a book called All the Rage, and it's a fantastic book talking about precisely how much visibility is out there. It just saturates us. I mean, it really has been. Um, there has been a breakthrough in the last 10 years even, but certainly the last 20, of representation of gay and lesbian life. Uh-huh. But as she argues, and much of my work picks up that argument, um, that means we're seen but not necessarily known. So the tough thing about representation is it's always two-dimensional. I mean, you really don't get much time to get the depth of somebody's life and character. You're, you're, you're just getting a, a, an incomplete story. So most of those representations tend to stop at... What we know about that character is they're gay and, and that's, that's what there is to know about them. We don't necessarily get the dynamics of their life. My work kind of takes up how those representations um, for the most part uh, represent urban life and for the uh, overwhelming uh, numbers of, of um, young people that I work with in rural areas of the United States. Uh, that means that they're, they're not just um, uh, marginalized, they're, they're erased. So mm-hmm. m- we have so far to go um, on representation. But I think a lot of times we assume that representation means that we've um, achieved something politically. And I think the danger is assuming that visibility necessarily um, uh, uh, can equa- be equated with uh, political gains. And so far, that doesn't shake out.
1: Mm-hmm. Are, are there examples of shows that you've seen, either either in film, portrayals in film, or on television, in the last couple of years? I mean, as we've sort of advanced, um, that are really bad stereotypes that shouldn't be. Um, you know, where where it shows how we haven't really advanced. Mm-hmm.
3: You know it 's so hard because i i work I work very hard to tell my students to think less in terms of uh, bad and good and mm-hmm. think in terms of productive right What kinds of representation okay. does it produce like what do you think about i mean i I, I think almost every representation right now on television is just um, depressingly incomplete i, I mean i, I don 't see any relationships I certainly don't see any. Um, passion or love and actually one of the most interesting elements that's absent so from a show like Brothers and Sisters I'll pick on that for a second uh, we never really have the meshing of one's LGBT community life and family life, uh-huh. so it's almost the the what's presented to us is you have to trade one for the uh-huh. other, uh-huh. and that's such a misrepresentation, I think, of of what most LGBT people experience, which is you're always working out your connection to your family, uh-huh. and that's really not separable from uh-huh. your your broader you know uh-huh. your broader context in your life. The
0: series Six Feet Under on HBO probably did a pretty good job then from your 360 look at a human being.
3: It did, although, again, if you look at the two main characters, the two gay characters who are a couple, they're almost always that's our representation of gay life. We don't necessarily see them in any other context other than their relationship. So, where do we see um, their friends at? Um, a bar or um, perhaps taking part in a film festival, like those pieces are um, compartmentalized in such distinct ways that we don 't see them come together and i don 't necessarily think it's it 's um, the representation 's fault i mean i think it's it 's trying to get in and get out, mm-hmm. um, but the tough thing is if you are working with any group that 's for the most part um, marginalized, whether it 's around race or class or or gender if that 's all you have, you you tend to fall on that uh, fall back on that as oh that 's what that life is like. So the number of students i 've had who come into the service learning class who have never actually had a conversation with a trans identifying person um, or a, a person who um, identifies as bisexual uh, it's it 's breakthrough for them because they 've only known those characters through television and
2: film. Mm-hmm. We do have a really interesting film this year on. Um, The Friday night feature called Prodigal Sons, which is a documentary about – that follows the filmmaker in their return to a rural community Mm -hmm. and focuses largely on like her specific interaction with her family. And we had an incredibly dynamic discussion within the steering committee about that film because so much of the film focuses on the family dynamic, mm-hmm. and we began to say, well is this a is this a Pride Film Festival film, or is this a film about family dynamics and in the end, it was just such a compelling film on so many levels that we wanted to make sure and include it in the festival but it, I mean it really challenges so many of those notions about the the need to separate. Um, between a family and a social life in the GLBT world.
0: How many of the filmmakers will be in attendance?
2: Let's see. We have – Dean Hammer mm-hmm.
3: will be coming as one of the uh, co-directors and producers of um, "Out in the Silence," the uh, Saturday matinee film that we're featuring, and he'll be there for the panel discussion.
2: Uh-huh. And Brooks Nelson, who is the filmmaker behind "Switch," which is the Sunday community discussion matinee on Sunday afternoon. And Desi Desi Del Val, who is um, the filmmaker from I think she's coming from New York, who did um, "Back to Life." Mm-hmm. Um, she's coming in as well. So, I mean, every year we're trying to increase the number of
3: um, directors we're able to bring in, but it's so limited by uh, resources. Most of the resources that we, um, that we draw on to, to, to bring those guests uh, comes from campus, uh, if we can get them from campus or come from uh, community um, uh, donations. So mm-hmm. uh, it, it's always a struggle to get those folks into town. So
0: overall, what's in it for the filmmakers to have their film be a part of this festival?
2: Well, um, the, all of the filmmakers are paid unless they decide of their own accord to waive the fee um, because we really believe in supporting this type of filmmaking. Um, and I think that filmmakers like to attend the festivals because it, it's in those locations that the most dynamic discussions occur about their work. Um, you know, I think as, as – you know, someone making a film, it can get kind of lonely once you make the film. It's done (laughs) and you're sending it off and other people are watching and talking about it, but nobody's necessarily talking to you. So I think it's always an exciting experience for them to be in the place where it's shown.
1: All right. We're talking about the Pride Film Festival today with uh, Danielle McClellan and Mary Gray. If you've got any questions, please call us. We still only have – we have only about eight minutes eight, eight minutes to go in the program. We had a couple of other callers, and I guess we were so fascinating that both of them hung up before we could get to them.
2: <laughs> Maybe we answered their question. Maybe.
1: Okay. But we now have a caller who wants to go on the air with us, and his name is Bob. Hey, Bob. Go ahead. Hello? Yeah, Bob. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Okay. Um... Yeah, I had a question
4: about uh, the content issue. Um, are we going to
1: see a lot of uh, uh, you know movies about the struggle of coming out, or are we going to see a, um, other aspects of life? Like uh,
2: definitely, there's a you know, wide
1: kind of you know living every day.
2: Yeah, there's a really wide range of. Not only content but um, the type of film like animation or documentary or drama or comedy. Um, even though we have this film of looking at small town queer life, um, we always try and choose a, a, you know, as wide a diversity of, of content and um, a genre of film as we possibly can.
3: And Bob's bringing up a really great question that we uh, – probably a few years ago, we were really challenging ourselves. Like how do we push out of that being mm-hmm. the only genre, the only, the only narrative that we're, mm-hmm. that we're playing with? And it, uh, sometimes it's tough because year by year we're driven by the material that's, that's being produced by independent filmmakers or filmmakers who um, are, are putting their work out there for gay and lesbian film festivals uh, or that we're finding – But um, increasingly, as you know, the example that Danielle gave of of Prodigal Sons, we're seeing these fantastically complicated stories come to the forefront that really push us to think, well, what is a gay and lesbian film? You know, what Mm -hmm. what fits in this film festival? And and that's
2: really exciting. So I think you'll love the
3: content
1: uh, that the struggle is only half the story.
3: Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. It's really just the beginning chapter.
3: No, I think you'll love the content, Bob, so you should come because there's some really amazingly, I mean, just fun, fun films.
4: Okay, great. Thank you.
1: All right, Bob. Thank you. Thanks a lot for the call. If yeah. you, you uh, want to give us a call, eight five five zero eight one one or 877-285-9348 or wfiu.org slash noon edition if you don't want to go on the air but want to email us a question.
0: Now, I mean, some of this, especially these coming out issues, that's pretty heavy stuff. <laughs> I mean, and often fraught with all kinds of emotional um Pain and oh, just you know gut wrenching stuff, so my question is, does the the film committee um, try to balance between drama and comedy and You know, so there's a balance. So you're not just sitting around, you know, crying tears in your barrel. (laughs) Right.
3: That's probably one of the toughest conversations we have in the solicitation. The film solicitation committee um, does most of the program programming, um, and and Brittany um, Frisner has been for the last couple of years the chair of that, and she is masterful at setting tempo. And as is Mm. Danielle, I have to say, I mean, you know, the conversations we have about how to create this sense of joy, contemplation introspection heaviness and then bring us back out so that the saturday night party is not you know tears in your beer um it's phenomenal uh, phenomenal that every year i think we've we've really been able to hit that that pacing but mm-hmm. it, it it is a huge part of our conversation
1: mm-hmm. i want to talk about the the theme small town gay life and you know what other themes have you had in the past before we get to this one
2: This is probably our most fully realized – like we chose a theme. We identified it. Um, We had multiple films that we knew of early in the year that would meet that theme and we kind of (laughs) built – Um, the marketing materials and some of the rest of the panel discussion and and events on campus and things like that around that Mm -hmm. possibility. Um, We kind of talked about it in the past, but this is really the first time we've actually – it all worked. Mm -hmm. So
1: talk about the importance of it, the importance of this topic as a theme.
2: (laughs) It's really important to me (laughs)
3: because it's my area of research and Um, I I think I – this year – Uh, I, I just finished a book about rural LGBT life, particularly young people, uh, their lives called out in the country. And I was, um, realizing there were so many films that were starting to come up addressing, um, the experience of folks living in non-metropolitan areas. So, um, I mean, I think, I think the steering committee was really indulgent of me putting on the table, could we make this the theme? Because we actually here at Indiana have some of the brightest um, uh, scholars who are working on this. I'm not talking about myself. We literally have a cadre of graduate students and Mm -hmm. faculty members who this is what they look at as rural queer studies, which is a pretty new area of research. We have almost no work on what is it really like in everyday lives for rural folks. So uh, it's become even more pressing for me since the murder of Don Belton to create some sort of forum for talking about um, what does his death mean and how do we come together as a community and think through that loss. So um, I, you know, I, I'm i struck by how serendipitous it is that that's the theme this year. I think it's, it's um, certainly going to help me personally move through that loss.
1: OK. We, uh, Danielle, we have a phone call. So oh, great. hold that thought. I will. We're going to go to Sarah on the phone. Sarah?
4: Hi, uh, I was thinking about something that was said a while ago about how many people have not met this or that or the other category of person in the GLBT uh, group, and and through church, I certainly know both gay and lesbian couples, but uh, had a had a gay cousin, know a transgender woman, well was man is now woman, um, but. How many of us know people who are just acting like regular folks and don't know what their sexual orientation is, and why might we? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
3: I I think that's an incredibly important important question. What is it that um, perhaps uh, keeps someone from sharing that part of who they are with somebody else? And I think that that's um, a a poignant question, that there are... um, it's it's an it's a complicated one to say. What is somebody's context? Uh, you know, what is their everyday life like that um, makes them feel um, uncomfortable sharing that aspect of who they are with
4: someone else? I'm what even are talking the conditions? About feeling uncomfortable. I'm talking about just a lot of ordinary life. Your sexuality mm-hmm. doesn't come up. Mine that's, doesn't. That's very true. That's very true.
2: And I I think part of what we try to do with the film festival um, is sort of is make that. Um, something that people understand a little bit more, that you're walking down the street and you might be assuming that everybody you're walking past um, has the same kind of of um, family life, love, desire kind of that you do, or it falls into categories that you've always understood or is around all of your life. But that's not necessarily true. And I think the the great thing about that and understanding that is that it opens up And gives you the freedom to explore whatever your own desire is as well.
1: All right. We have about 20 seconds. The website and phone number if anybody wants any more information.
2: Pridefilmfestival.org. The main line at the theater is 323-3020. Please check us out and we hope to see you at the festival.
1: All right. Thanks a lot to Danielle McClellan and Mary Gray. And for Mary Catherine Carmichael, producer Ariana Prothero, and engineer Mike Pashkash, I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening.